Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. If you would like to support the Box of Oddities, we would be eternally grateful. Become a premium subscriber. Go to theboxofoddities.com and get signed up. You will get ad-free episodes. You'll get them a day early. You'll get a bonus episode every month. And you'll get access to the Box of Oddities back channel. Direct contact to us. And we appreciate it so much. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 200. The world is full of stories, stories of mysteries, of curiosities, of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Well, it's good to be back. I know maybe from your perspective, it doesn't seem like we've been gone because we (laughs) recorded episodes way in advance in order to hit the road for a a couple of weeks. But this is the first episode that we have done since before our uh, two-week road trip. And it's weird. Our house smells weird. Um, Why is that? You come home after a couple of weeks and you go... Does my house smell like this to everyone? That's the thing is, are we nose blind to how our house smells always? Or does it smell weird because we haven't been in it for two weeks? I I think it's both. Will we ever know the answer? Um, Also, I have so much laundry to do. (laughs) And you did laundry three times Mm. while we were on the road. I sure did. First of all, I want to thank everybody who came out for the Washington, D.C. show. my goodness. So wonderful. Just wanted to let you know, first and foremost, the uh, snake through the heart made it back safely. Yes. Somebody gave us a wet specimen. Our first wet specimen. Aww. A cobra through the heart of a pig? A raccoon, I think. Raccoon? Yeah. Anyway, it's really cool, and it's just the thing to brighten up our studio. It looks lovely. Also going through some uh, of our messages, because we were way behind on that. This one made me laugh. I'm trying to listen to the latest episode. This comes from Sarah. My kitten, who is in heat, she's getting done on Friday, is going mental at Jethro's voice and keeps trying to hump my phone. (laughs) He's absolutely a pussy magnet, for sure. (laughs) Meow. Okay, prepare yourself. This is a bummer. August 2016. Paramedics are called to the Ife household on Lancaster Avenue in Enfield, North London. Harry Ife rang to say that his brother Kennedy had, quote, gone a bit cold 
after feeling dehydrated and a bit weary. Is that like a British thing? It reminds me of um, Monty Python, uh, the meaning of life. His leg was bitten sort of off. It might be. Yeah. I love it. I like it, too. They sound so much classier than we do in America. Yeah. It was kind of dangling there. Yeah, it was just kind of plum ripped off. So two and a half years later, Kennedy Ife's family was in court. His parents, Kenneth and Josephine, and five brothers, Roy, Harry, Colin, Samuel, and Daniel, were on trial, accused of manslaughter. Ooh. According to some, Kennedy Ife's parents and brothers believed that he was possessed by evil spirits and set about curing him with prayer and restraint that led to his death. Basically, they tried to perform an exorcism. This is not something that an amateur should try to do. No. Bring in a professional. You wouldn't steam clean your own sofa and expect good results. Why cast Beazelbub out of a loved one on your own? You wouldn't steal a policeman's cap. Well, there's an obscure reference. Somebody tell us what that's from, and uh, you will earn our undying respect. <laughs> so, prosecution claimed that Kennedy Ife, who worked as an IT consultant, was restrained for 67 hours in the seven-bedroom mansion in Enfield, and he was treated like an animal or a detainee. The family described themselves as charismatic Christians. And they held religious beliefs and thought that because Kennedy had become, quote, bewitched, uh, that they needed to cast out those those mm -hmm. demons. Mm -hmm. The family lived together. Um, and according to the LinkedIn page, uh, the dad of the household, Kenneth Ife, uh, is a prominent public policy analyst. That's not a word analyst who had gone um, and advised for World Bank and the British government. So later in a police interview, Colin Ife, one of the brothers, stated that Kennedy had been behaving normally up until August 13. Um, that's when he ate at a Chinese buffet and started complaining of a pain in his throat, and he was finding it hard to sleep. Maybe he just had a, an, an allergy to peanuts or something. It's possible. Maybe he had indigestion. Who knows? Uh, but five days later, he was complaining of a seed in his stomach. He said that a python or a snake was inside of him. And this is according to um, Colin Ife. He said that Kennedy believed that he had a demon inside his body wanting to kill him. And this is what he told the court. On August 19, Kennedy became aggressive. Again, this is all according to the, the family, family uh, during their yeah, trial. Right. They said that he bit his father and threatened to cut off his own penis. Um, rather than taking him to a doctor, uh, his mother, who is known to their church as Sister Joe, she sought advice from their minister. Colin Ife went on to describe that Kennedy had become aggressive. Um, he was shouting about the mark of the beast. And um, when the volunteers from the church came to the house, one of them, uh, his name was Andrew, and his last name I'm not even going to begin to try to pronounce. Um, he was a volunteer at Jesus Sanctuary Ministries. Um, he prayed for Kennedy at the house along with two other ministers known as Brother Peter and Brother Amika. And he told the court, when I arrived, I was informed that we'd been instructed to attend the address of Sister Joe to pray for Kennedy. They went to Sister Joe's house, and uh, they were gathered in the living room. 
He said that he saw Kennedy laying down on the settee. He had a phone in his hand. He seemed to be typing something on his phone, texting or whatever. Andrew said, I said, hi. He said, hi. And he looked me directly in the eyes. He did look unwell. He looked tired. And as they began praying for him, Kennedy's father walked into the room with a man from a different church. This is according to the volunteer from Jesus Sanctuary Ministries. Okay. So Andrew added... I believed he was a pastor, but I had never seen him before. Sister Joe asked if that man could take over. He prayed for God to keep Kennedy and heal him. He then said that he was actually kind of angry that he'd been asked to come out there and then was asked to leave almost immediately because some rando dude showed up. <laughs> um, that's, that's, I'm paraphrasing, of course. Mm, I think it was brother rando dude. <laughs> but he did report that Kennedy looked like he had a fever and that he was not... Uh, as bright as he had been in the past. One of the lawyers asked, did you see Kennedy bound at any time during your stay? And Andrew replied, no. And then they clarified, he was conscious, he greeted you. Um, did you see that there was any time where Kennedy appeared like he was not in his right mind? And and he said, no, he, he seemed okay. So he left. Monday, August 22nd, another brother Harry Ife phoned 999 and said that Kennedy was struggling to breathe. Paramedics arrived, uh, but Kennedy was already dead. The court heard that when police arrived at the house, the family was carrying out what they called an attempted resurrection. Kennedy was laying uh, face down on the floor, and they were standing over him saying, Kennedy, I command you to rise in the name of Jesus. This did not work. And during the uh, trial, a prosecutor, Tim Little, claimed that the family had restrained Kennedy for 67 hours before laying him out on the ground and trying to resuscitate him when he stopped breathing. What kind of restraint? Did they did they go into detail on he that? He was handcuffed and they used uh, cable ties, like zip ties. Oh, my God. I can't find a comfortable position when I have the flu. Mm, yeah, no. Uh, this was not a great situation. Mm -mm. And uh, I imagine it was scary for everyone involved, especially the one being uh, zip tied, zip tied, mm. who believes that he's filled with demons. According to the prosecutor, the family put misguided religious beliefs above this young man's health and well-being. Whether or not he was possessed by a demon or evil spirits, Obvious common sense concludes that he needed help. A pathologist found more than 60 injuries on Kennedy, all consistent with forceful restraint. Did he find any snakes in his stomach? No snakes. Damn. Not a single one. That would have been a cool ending. Mm. Sister Joe, mom, said that the restraint was justified because Kennedy posed threat to himself. But neither Sister Joe or dad said they knew where the handcuffs came from. Um, they also struggled with where the cable ties came from, each suggesting that maybe a workman had left them from work that he had done years before. Hmm. But one of the brothers, Roy, later told jurors that he bought the handcuffs on eBay as part of a abandoned plan to go into part-time security work. Yeah. Why did they have fur on them, sir? No one was sure of who put the handcuffs or the restraints on Kennedy. Mm -hmm. Everyone said, oh, I don't know who did it. No one saw any particular abuses being uh, laid on him 
by any particular person. It was just kind of this group effort that uh, no one had any recollection of exactly how the events took place. Maybe they were the ones possessed. Maybe. After the police were called, Roy, one of the brothers, told jurors that he panicked and took the handcuffs out of the house and threw them over the neighbor's fence. Which, to me, says that they knew that this was not the correct course sure, of action. Sure, If you're hiding evidence, you you knew that this wasn't the right thing to be doing. Mr. Little said that uh, claims that Kennedy was only held down temporarily were outlandish. That there's no way that the injuries caused to him by these handcuffs and these zip ties were created just from the, the individual mm. instances that they said that they had to restrain him. That he was obviously restrained for... A, a lengthy period of time, which because this whole process took place over the course of three days, leads me to believe he was probably restrained for three days. Wow. The siblings all made the same choice not to give evidence and uh, be subjected to the same scrutiny, according to the prosecutor. However, Kenneth, Josephine, mom and dad, Roy, Harry, Colin, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel and Samuel were all cleared of manslaughter, false imprisonment, and causing or allowing the death of a vulnerable adult between the dates of August 19 and 23rd, 2016. It seems as though because they held these religious beliefs and they held them deeply, that the jury felt that they were not liable for this man's cardiac arrest mm. and death, even though they held him down and restrained him mm. and, and caused his death. But they didn't, according to the jury. NBD. Wow. That's shocking. It was really difficult to find additional information about this case other than the news articles that were talking about their being cleared. So I can't I can't find where the jury got the information that made them think no, this was okay. Mm. And that's the part that I'm really struggling with. I need more info. Like, what about the situation made you agree that this was, I mean, I can believe that the speed limit should be, a, you know, 125 miles per hour, but it's not. Right, so, right. you know, where do you draw the line on what is okay because you believe it? And that's always kind of a debatable subject personal religious beliefs mm. versus what medical science tells us. And it's not to in any way belittle no. anybody's belief. But I remember hearing a story one time about a woman who was ill mm -hmm. and they said, you need this surgery. And she said, no, I'm just, you know, I believe that God is going to heal me. Mm -hmm. And she prayed and she didn't get any better. And so ultimately consented to the surgical procedure. After that, she was fine. And some of the people from her particular religious belief group criticized her mm -hmm. for getting medical help. And she said, well, I, after praying, realized that uh, God had a plan for the doctor, too. And so... Who's to say that God wasn't healing her through the doctor? Right. No, it's like that story about the 
the barn. The yeah, the story about the man, the boat man. Yeah, the guy was caught in a flood. He's standing on his roof. He's praying for God to to save him. And a boat comes by and says, "Hey, come on, let's go." And he says, "No, God's going to save me." And then a helicopter flies over and lowers a rope. And no, right. God's going to save me. Another boat goes by, same thing. And uh, finally, um, you know, the water gets up to his chest and he says, God, I prayed for help. Why didn't you help me? He said, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. Right. It's about paying attention. You know, (laughs) sometimes things happen in a way that we aren't expecting, but that is the way it's meant to be. Yeah. And it's it's hard to see like like Kennedy Ife was an adult man. child man child mm-hmm. it, you know uh he was an adult so how different would this story have been or how differently would the jury have heard the story if he were eight years old if right. he were you know 12 years old would that have changed how you heard the story sure it would. If, if a it, child is ill if it was and a, you don't a cute little four-year-old girl right yeah i think the jury would have been less sympathetic and that's that to me is is kind of gross. Mm-hmm. Like you can't you can't weigh those things nope. differently. It's still a life is a life, right? It's like men who are raped, not wanting to talk about it, right? Because they'll be belittled by a large segment of society. Like, well, you're a man; you should be able to stand up for your blah 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 blah. Right, blah. right, right. And it's and it's okay to make fun of guys that have been raped, right? Um, when it's uh, the the victim is never the person who is at fault for the, what has right. gone on. It is, it is, you know, it's like when uh, someone says, oh, well, they shouldn't have been in that part of town or she shouldn't have been wearing that outfit mm-hmm. or blah, 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 blah. blah. Mm-hmm. You know, victim blaming is gross. A hundred percent of the time, always. <laughs> yeah. And regardless. I just, I, I don't know. I, I This story, it was hard because you want to be delicate about it because I do respect people's individual beliefs and I, I, I care very much about people being able to live their lives the way that they choose. Sure, sure. Um, but when it affects someone else in the way that it kills them... You know, especially a vulnerable person who's obviously dealing with some shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really hard to be on board with that yeah. at any point at all, even a little. The end. The end. And now, that thing in the middle. These are real things that happened in court cases. Things that were actually said as recorded by the court recorder, which is weird to say recorded by the court recorder and now we're recording it now wow number five lawyer do you recall the time you examined the body witness the autopsy started at 8 30 p.m lawyer and was he dead at the time witness if not he was by the time i finished (laughs) (laughs) number four lawyer now sir i'm sure you're an intelligent and honest man witness thank you if i weren't under oath i'd return the compliment Shame. Number three, lawyer. What was the first thing your husband said to you this morning? Witness, he said, where am I, Kathy? Lawyer, and why did that upset you? Witness, my name is Susan. (laughs) Number two, lawyer. All your responses must be oral. What school did you go to? Witness, oral? And number one, lawyer. The youngest son, the 20-year-old. How old was he? Witness, he's 20, much like your IQ. Oh, Oh, girl. The Box of Oddities. 
with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our Aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the Aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The Box of Oddities At a frequency so high 
only your dog can understand. So it is uh, Valentine's Day. Well, not technically, but, you know, it's, yeah. it's the week of. And one of the uh, things that I found uh, while catching up on stuff was a person who had tagged us in a response to a jewelry company's post. So the jewelry company was hosting a contest and it was like for a chance to win, you've got to like this post, you know, like this yeah. other post mm-hmm. and uh, also comment who's your favorite celebrity couple. And Willina posted, not super celebrity yet, but my favorite is Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth from the Box of Oddities Aww. podcast. And Aww. she tagged us and it was so sweet. Are we going to get to the point where we have one of those cute celebrity couple names like Benifer back in the 2000s? Like Tat? No. Jet, Jat? How about Catthro? Cat throw up? Yeah, maybe that's, that one. That's not going to work. No. no. All right. Anyway, that was sweet. That was super sweet. Kethro? Kethro. All right. Sure. <laughs> it's your time now. Do the thing. All right. If you're seeking love or protection, claim the graveyard dirt from over the heart area. If you plan to use the graveyard dirt to seek wealth, arcane connection to the spirit or knowledge, Take it from the area near the head of the grave. If you plan to use the graveyard dirt to bring ill or curse another, take it from the foot area of the grave. This is according to the Sacred Hands Coven website. Okay. Graveyard dirt. It's a famous ingredient in many spells of various magical traditions. Graveyard dirt is more commonly associated in the mind of the public with black magic and curses. But in reality, it's also an ingredient in various good works, such as protection, luck and gambling, even drawing love to you. Oh. Yeah. In the African-American hoodoo root work tradition, according to the Lucky Mojo Curio website, graveyard dirt has been used by many people for the purposes of causing unnatural illnesses to their enemies. People familiar with such matters tell us that they have mixed graveyard dirt and sulfur powder with an enemy's hair or private bodily concerns, uh, put the mixture into a bottle with nine pins, nine needles, and nine nails, and then bury it under their doorstep while the moon is waning in order to hurt them or cause them to pine away. Others claim that they have put the graveyard dirt into an enemy's shoe and then marked a trail from the victim's home to the nearest graveyard, sprinkling a pinch of the dirt at every crossroad along the way to lead their enemy to death. Wow. According to Jesus A. Villa in his theses, African Healing in Mexican Carandorissimo, Quote, enslaved Africans also used grave dirt in erotic and commanding medicine. This is interesting to me because part of my story that I didn't include was uh, Josephine, the mom, Mm -hmm. um, had talked about how part of the uh, ceremony that she had read about involved sprinkling dirt of some sort uh, from a, a graveyard, like throwing it northeast, south and west, or wow. something like that. Wow. And the the family, though they lived in London, was Nigerian. No kidding. This is really interesting. This is interesting. According to this study, one enslaved African woman named Mariana confided to a friend that uh, she had a bag of dirt with her from a grave uh, that she used to give to men in order that they may love me. I mean, just be yourself, right? (laughs) Just be you. Be yourself. Now, from a great article in the most recent Smithsonian Magazine, I learned this. And by the way, I got the Smithsonian Magazine because we were at the Smithsonian. Yeah, we were! 
And uh, we made a donation to the Smithsonian and, and we got a free year subscription to Smithsonian Magazine, which is awesome. And I don't know how they arranged that, but um, it really worked out for us. Yeah. So I got this topic from there. In the Boho Highlands in Northern Ireland, five miles from the border of the Republic of Ireland, there is a, um, a long known legend among parishioners that the dirt from Father McGurr's grave has almost a miraculative uh, healing power. The father is said to have been a faith healer, and he was famous for it. He healed a lot of local parishioners, various different illnesses. And he said on his deathbed, supposedly, quote, after I die, the clay that covers me will cure anything that I was able to cure when I was with you while I was alive. And this led to... Uh, kind of a bizarre local custom. Uh, petitioners will go to his grave, kneel by his grave, remove just a small like thumbnail size patch of dirt, put it in a cotton pouch, and they will bring those cotton pouches home. They don't talk to anybody along the road. They place the pouches under their pillow, and the soil has been shown to alleviate many minor ailments like flesh wounds and sore throats. Shown to? Well, over two centuries, people have claimed that the dirt from the grave has healing powers, and there are dozens of modern-day cases that seem to prove it. One local man claims that he cured jaundice. Now, you can look at this as just, you know, a legend, an old wives' tale. And think it's just superstition, one researcher said. Or you can check into it thoroughly to see if there's anything in the soil that produces antibiotics. Mm -hmm. In the days before antibiotics, healing was a spiritual event. Healthy people in the countryside would get ill without any possibility of recovery. And then the cure looked like it was miraculous. Right. It's no coincidence that religion is so closely interwoven with uh, the healing arts. According, sure. according to Smithsonian. So there's this microbiologist, his name's Jerry Quinn. He's been doing research at Sansui University, where he is uh, currently working, uh, doing some postdoctoral work. He said, I was looking for stuff that could cure incurable infections and treat incurable conditions. And along with a guy named Paul Dyson, who's a molecular microbiologist, he heads the uh, Applied Molecular Microbiology Research Team at Swansea University. They conducted studies, they were conducting studies that isolated Streptomyces microbes from arid habitats like the Tibetan plateaus and uh, Saudi a Saudi Arabian date farm. So they were looking for, un as of yet, undiscovered antibiotics to combat the glowing or the growing global threat posed by superbug strains that have become resilient mm. to everyday antibiotics. And the reason they are is because we really not invented any new or discovered any new antibiotics right. for a half a century. And a lot of us, when we take erythromycin or one of the... Bactrim. <laughs> you, once we start feeling better, we stop taking it. And it's like giving the the microbes uh, anti-snake venom, like smallpox vaccinations were back in the day. You give the, the, the patient just enough of it to build up a resistance, and this is what's happening. And these superbugs are being created, mm. and it's really becoming a serious global threat. So he was looking for this kind of stuff. And he knew that streptomyces can often be found in um, inhospitable settings like lakes that are extremely high in alkaline or caves. He also knew that the Boho region where this grave was had these alkaline grasslands. He said, I thought 
It has special plants and special limestone plants and special mountain plants. I wondered if the area had any specialized organisms as well. So he went there on vacation. Oh. Now, he had not heard the story about Father McGurr's grave. He was visiting an aunt in that area that, you know, a family member. And he asked, could I test some of your clay? And she says, well, there's stuff in the grave, cryptically meaning the McGurr site. And he thought, grave? Nah, that's one step too far. That's a little bit spooky. But then he reconsidered and he said, I thought, why not? I'll take some with me back to Swansea and see. So they went to the grave to collect these samples. There's a wooden post that stands beside the headstone and it tells people what prayers to offer and how to sample the blessed clay. Only a spoonful of soil should be removed and must be returned to Father McGurr's grave on the fourth day. According to legend, failure to take the soil back within four days brings very bad luck. Oh, okay. But what if you're sick past four days? Do you have to get a different spoonful or do you I think the idea trade is it out? The, a spoonful is enough to get the job done. Oh, okay. So they take the uh, sample back to the lab. A special uh, protocol was used to isolate what turned out to be not one, but eight strains of Streptomyces. Luciana Terra, who was a team member from Brazil, went on to take care of the next step. She pitted the Streptomyces against some common pathogens. The genomes were sequenced by growing each individual bacterium on a separate plate. They extracted the DNA, reading the DNA fragments in a sequencer, and comparing the sequence with known Streptomyces strains. The new strains were then taken and pitted in what they called a cage match with superbugs. To the research team's great surprise, the strain inhibited both uh, gram-positive bacilli and gram-negative which differs in cell wall structures, the gram-negative are the more resistant to common antibiotics, and they lead to superbugs. Wow. Wait, this sounds like it was a lengthy process. Did they get the dirt back? We'll get to that. Okay. According to the Swansea researchers, the soil over Father McGurr's grave contained a previously unknown strain of Streptomyces, a genus of the Philum antinobacteria, which has produced about two-thirds of all currently prescribed antibiotics. So at this point, they're pretty darn excited because they may have discovered something that could be a game changer, uh, the biggest one since uh, Alexander Fleming's discovery of penicillin, wow. which goes back to 1928. And you remember the story of the mold accidentally contaminated a Petri dish in his lab. And uh, some of the Streptococcus bacteria that he'd been growing in the dish w- were destroyed by, by this mold. That allowed, of course, for um, penicillin to be developed and would treat many infections that at that point had killed people. Right. But superbugs annul the success of these types of therapies by constantly mutating into tougher, more uh, dangerous strains. They're very good at transmitting immunity genes to other pathogens Mm -hmm. as well. They've evolved defenses that um, can withstand any modern antibiotics. Superbugs are considered among one of the most serious global menaces. And according to a new report from the United Nations, antibiotic-resistant infections claim about 700,000 lives every year. Wow. And that includes 230,000 deaths from drug-resistance tuberculosis alone. This is some serious shit that's coming up. Yeah. By 2050, according to the UN, that toll likely will rise to about 10 million people dying annually. 
if, quote, immediate, coordinated, and ambitious action does not occur. In this case, uh, they mean, as far as action goes, reducing the misuse of antibiotics, either by using them with, uh, stop using them for no good reason, like against uh, illnesses like the flu, Mm -hmm. or discontinuing an antibiotic before it was fully effective, like we've talked about. You got to finish your course. course. All of those things, of course, contribute to the development of of antibiotic-resistant bacteria. It's been decades since researchers or medical scientists have discovered a new class of antibiotic. Until now, most of the uh, drugs in use today are just modifications of the early penicillin discovery. Right. Amoxicillin, for example. But now they're starting to look back at um, like ancient herbal remedies and healing techniques and, and different types of folk medicines, which is what sent Jerry Quinn to the graveyard. It makes perfect sense. It's not just the grave. They're discovering it. In fact, people in the area have known that the soil in that area has some strange healing property. It goes back to the mystical druids who occupied the land 1,500 years ago, perhaps stretches as far back as they're thinking the Neolithic age, 3,500 years before that. Quote, the legend of the magical soil is something that resonates down through the ages, says Desi McKenzie, which I love his name. Mm. He's the owner and barkeep of the Linnet Inn, Boho's only pub. Also has some healing powers. Yes, it does. And has for a while. (laughs) So how's the development of this new antibiotic coming along? This could save millions and millions of lives. Not so good. Oh, no. Because the drug companies aren't interested in it. I don't understand. Well, antibiotic development right now, the model for it is just in shambles. Meager profits and a lot of regulatory hurdles. Legacy companies have, for the most part, abandoned research in this field. Scientists uh, are having a hard time confronting this issue. To bring a new drug to market, typically it's it's a huge amount of time and money, 10 sure. to 15 years and maybe $2 billion. Now, the issue is because if they discover and develop a new antibiotic at that cost in dollars and, and time, there's already in place The idea that they have to limit the distribution of it so that it won't become immune, so that the bacteria will not become immune to it. So anything that goes out there after spending all this money is going to be limited. Meaning that they wouldn't recoup their money in the way that they felt was effective. No, because the bacteria can quickly develop resistance to a new antibiotic. Public health officials are recommending uh, prescribing as little as possible of any new antibiotics that come out. So there's only like only three big pharma outfits, Merck, Pfizer, and GlaxoSmithKline, who are still kind of looking at doing some sort of antibiotic research, but very, very, very limited. Right. It's not exactly an appealing business plan. (laughs) You spend all this money and then regulations are going to limit the amount that you can sell. That's true. But at the same time, you know, what are the benefits of the, let's say, the drugs that they do have on the market, you know, for... Um, encouraging your body to make its own insulin or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Viagra or, you know, whatever. Yeah. What are the benefits of creating and uh, continuing research on these drugs if those people are all going to die because they get a urinary tract infection? 
Yeah. Like you're not going to make more money if people start kicking it because antibiotics aren't doing it anymore. Unfortunately, it's going to get to the point of crisis. Yeah. Before drug companies go, hey, we might want to look into this. And then the research and development will take 15 years. Yes. Yeah. 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 And we'll be so desperate for it that we'll be willing to pay anything. Oh, I see what's going on. The patented lifetime of an antibiotic does not uh, go far enough into the future in their projected um, business model mm. to recoup any kind of um, research outlay. So in this context, capitalism isn't necessarily helping us. <laughs> it's, oh? It's, it's killing us. But to answer your question from a, a few moments ago, after they processed the samples, Jerry Quinn, on his next trip to Boho, dumped what remains of the soil back into Father McGurr's grave. He said, sure, I'm a scientist, but why take unnecessary risks? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, let's just sum up. Legend, soil from this guy's grave heals people. Mm -hmm. Science, yes, it does. And here's the reason for it. And it could save millions of lives. Big Pharma, nope, can't make money on that. The rest of us, probably dead in the next 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's encouraging. Yeah, I yeah. just thought I'd pass that along. No, I love it. Um, I think, you know, I though I appreciate that that they did the research and they found that this did in fact contain these, these you know, yeah. healing bits. Yeah, they know they're there. Bits. Um, also keep in mind that scooping it under your thumbnail and keeping it under your pillow, not the most effective use <laughs> yeah. of healing bits. Um, so while I say, yes, great. Hurrah. Hurrah. Um, why you think it works is not why it works. And so therefore it might not always work because you don't know how it works. Yeah. That's where science comes in. Well, that's that's just it. And, and I love it when um, religion and science overlaps you do like that like i could get into a whole quantum physics I know it. thing i've with heard it christianity and on multiple occasions but anyway we're not going to do that <laughs> on today's show we're going to wrap this thing up oh we have another show coming up yes so soon yeah. oh i gotta redo our calendar yeah it's about a week and a half away the 29th Leap Day, the 29th of February, the um, historic Bijou Theater in Bridgeport, Connecticut. It is gorgeous, and I cannot wait. This is our first theater show. Please come. We would love to see you if you're in the area. We, when we were in D.C., we were talking to some people who live in that area. They're driving up for the Bridgeport show. That's pretty awesome. It is. It's amazing. And... If you know of any delicious places for me to eat um, in that area, please let me know about it. I'm real big on street corn right now. She's always been real big on street corn. <laughs> anyway, we look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com
Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.